there was a couple that started attending Cornerstone. We're going to call them Jim and Rachel. That's not their real name to protect the guilty. Um, Jim and Rachel started attending Cornerstone about six years ago. And when they came, uh, Jim comes from a Catholic background, didn't really understand the gospel. And his wife was a believer. And, and it wasn't long when, when they came that Jim uh, prayed and asked, asked for that forgiveness and became a believer in Jesus Christ and began to grow. But they had a problem. Jim had been on drugs for, since he was a teenager. And he had struggled for that for many years, but he had been celebrating like 10, 11, 12 years of sobriety at that time. But he also had an addiction to pornography. He also had uh, a problem with angry, angry outbursts that at the drop of a hat, he could just fly off the handle and, and be very upset. This caused a lot of friction in their marriage. So Jim reached out to a couple at Cornerstone who were uh, trained counselors, and they began meeting with them to try to work through some of these issues. But it wasn't like four, maybe five sessions all of a sudden, they weren't welcome back to their house anymore. So Jim reached out to Helen and I. Helen has, has her degree in, in biblical counseling, and, and so we've been married a long time. They thought, well, let's reach out to Tim and Helen. And, and so we began meeting with them. And as we, we sat with them, as long as we were talking about Jim and his problems and how we can fix him, everything was fine. But as soon as we turned our attention to Rachel and began um, addressing things that we saw in her life, we weren't welcome back there anymore. That was it. We were done. And it, and it, it caused a, a lot of problems. And she uh, had an issue with the Bible. She took it, and she would look up verses and say, see, Jim, if you would just live like this, we would be happy. If you would just do this, if you would just stop that, we would be happy. She had verses to back it up. But when it came to verses about wives submitting to their husband or treating them with respect, she never mentioned those. She used it as a weapon. Jim, on the other hand, began growing like a weed. He, he, he began uh, attending regularly to the services getting involved in a men's Bible study. He was being accountable, you know, other men around him were keeping him accountable. And he was meeting with a couple other guys for discipleship. And, and he was doing well. But Rachel refused to come to church. And, and she was more of a recluse. She didn't have any friends outside the home. And it was, it was sad. Well, today is our, our second message in the series on the Holy Spirit. And I want to take this time to just use it uh, to, to point us in the direction, what is the Holy Spirit, what is he doing in our lives? So if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, because you're going to be underlining and drawing lines and everything, turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to spend this service talking about walking in the Spirit. first scripture that we're going to look at is chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, but I say, walk in the spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then jump down to verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the flesh with its passions and desires, oh, sorry, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So whenever you're studying the Bible, you've got to look at the context of what he's talking about, why, what brought this up. So look back at verse 1, and here you have a bunch of Galatian believers who were saved by faith, but they were trying to keep themselves by obeying the law again. It says, but if um, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. So he's saying, you know what? You were saved by faith. Let's stand in it. Let's walk in it. Let's stand in that and so we can see what God is doing. Then he says, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Submitting to ourselves uh, that yoke of slavery, falling into legalism, biting and devouring each other, which we see in verse 15. They were having this problem also. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So we see these things that were going on in the church there in Galatia. That they were, they were struggling with legalism. They couldn't get along with one another. And then he goes into these verses that says, okay, you want, we want you to be able to get along. So this is what we need to do. In other words, Paul is basically saying, if you are saved by faith, why do you think you need to be kept saved by following the law? He said, that's not, that's not the way it works. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about that. And this message is shorter, so you get to sing a lot more when I'm done. All right, so uh, we're going to look at three aspects of, the, of walking in the Spirit. The first thing is, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Now, many of you know that I, I love riding bikes, bicycles. And, and I'll be on the bike for hours at a time. And the more I've, I've ridden my bike, the more I realize that walking is much more difficult than riding my bike, contrary to what you might think. Because, think of it for a second. Here I'm riding up Morgan Hill. It's a steep hill, and, and, and I get to the top. What happens? There's a downhill on the other side. I get to relax, cool off, drink some water, and, and just, just absorb just the refreshing of my legs after I've climbed that steep mountain. When you're walking... You not only have to walk up the hill, you've got to walk when it's flat, and you've got to walk when you're going downhill. There's no break. And sometimes walking down a hill is harder, not only physically, but on your knees. It, 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 it can ruin your knees much faster than anything else. 
and this is what he's talking about uh, with this walking in the spirit. It's not easy. Now, there's a mountain in Thailand. It's called Doi Suteb. Doi means mountain. Suteb is the name of the mountain. And it was 11 kilometers from the bottom of the mountain to the temple. It wasn't even all the way to the top. That was only like halfway. But it was 11 kilometers. And I would ride that maybe twice a week, just up, up, up. The first time I rode it, it took me over three hours to get up there because I had to stop about every mile to catch my breath and to let my legs rest. But the more I did it, the more I did it, the more I did it, I could make it. My fastest time was one hour. Some of these kids who were tra tra training for the triathlons could do it in 35 minutes. Made me sick, but they did it. But once I got to the top, I had a banana with me, I had some juice to drink, and I would just relax and, and, and cool down for, didn't need to cool down very long because once I got going, I put my helmet on. I don't wear my helmet going up because I'm only going like four miles an hour. But put my helmet back on and I put my feet in the pedals I do not pedal again for 20 minutes. 20 minutes I get to just ride down and go around those curves and even pass cars that don't know how to drive and, and, uh, and get to the bottom. I am cooled off. I'm refreshed. My clothes are all dried out. And, and it's just so enjoyable. But they have marathons that Doisuteb is part of a marathon where you have to run up the mountain and turn around and run back down. That is difficult. Running down a hill is not easy. So as we look at this area of walking in the spirit today, it's a lot like running up and down a hill. It's hard on your knees because as you're coming down the hill of your spiritual journey, you're coming down into a depression or you're coming down into uh, a time where you don't feel like God is taking care of you, that, that you're struggling in your marriage or your work as you might be laid off and and all these things are coming through your mind and begins to, to frustrate you. And then you begin to wonder, is this Christian life even worth it? I'm going down fast. This is where it's hard on our knees because we need to be on our knees pouring our hearts out to the Lord. Saying, God, you know what? This is hard. But I know that I can get through this if I'm following you, if I'm walking with you. I can't do it in my own strength. That's the thing we need to remember. We talked last week, Pastor Tim, in his message, his intro message to this series, he was talking about that we come to faith, we're drawn by the Spirit. We come to the Lord, and, and he shared that last week, that, that since we come to Christ by faith, we need to stay in our Christian walk by faith, by the Spirit, and not try to... to say, okay, if I, if I spend an hour in my devotions every day, if I spend 45 minutes praying, if I go to church every Sunday, then I'll, I'll be in good standing with God. No. We look at what, what happened with Jim and Rachel. Rachel did all those things. She read her Bible, but she used it to try and straighten out Jim. She come to church once in a while just to make an appearance that she was spiritual. But she didn't really have a walk with the Lord. She didn't know what it was like. So he says here that if we walk in the spirit, 
verse 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As I was studying that this week, it was pretty interesting what this means. As you talk about being, uh, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Is that, that one thing I learned is that this conflict that Paul is describing here is not the moral conflict that everyone faces now and then. Nor is it the conflict of someone who's just walked away from the Lord and said, no, I'm done with this. This is a conflict. What we're talking about here is between the spirit and the flesh that is faced daily by thoroughly committed Christians who choose to walk by the spirit on a daily basis. Each day, the Christian who chooses to walk by the spirit is engaged in a fierce battle between the spirit and the flesh. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about committed Christians and so each morning, as, as we start our day, I try to get up in the morning and, and say, God, today is your day. Today is the day that I can bring honor to your name. Today is the day that I want to glorify you. Show me how to do that today. Instead of getting up and, and going through the motions and you're driving down 78 towards Somerset or wherever you work at, and somebody cuts you off, or there's an accident and you're stuck in traffic, you're going to be late for work, what is your response? To get angry, to get frustrated, to try and think, okay, how am I going to get to work? How, what, what am I going to say to my boss? What are, you know, all these things that are going through our minds. We get to work and one coworker starts telling you a story about another coworker that is gossip. What are you going to do? You have a choice to make. Or you, you look at someone else's success. Someone, one of your coworkers just got promoted. And you felt that you should have had that job. What's your response? All those things begin going, playing with us. And Satan loves doing that to us. We begin to feel like we're worthless. So it's important for us to understand this. Because many Christians feel ashamed to admit that they are experiencing such conflict in their minds, that these things are going on. If you're one of them, you're probably feeling that, that, that somehow you should be above that. Now, you've been a Christian since you were seven years old. You should be above this. But we look in Romans chapter 7, and you see the conflict that even Paul had as he was saying, the things that I want to do, those are the things I'm not doing. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing all the time. This battle going on in my mind and in my heart is there on a daily basis. So you're not alone in feeling this. The old song that we, we've sung since we were kids, it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So we struggle with those things. You're not alone in this camp. I could be in the middle of my devotion sometime or in the middle of a prayer time and all of a sudden this angry thought, something comes back to my mind or a lustful desire comes into my mind. If I'm by myself, I would literally say, where did that come from? If I'm in a group, I wouldn't say that because they wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But it's in my head, it's these thoughts come into my head and, and Satan knows what your weaknesses are. It may be lustful thoughts, or it may be anger, it could be envy, it could be 
disappointment or depression. And Satan knows what just to throw at your heart right in the middle of when you're trying to, to get to know God better. He knows. And those are the things he's going to throw at us. He's pretty smart, pretty clever. But he says that he can help us to make the right decision. I have a decision to make. At that moment when that angry thought comes into my mind, I have a choice to make right then. Am I going to succumb to that temptation to dwell on that? Or am I going to say, get behind me, Satan, and let me get to know God better? That's how we, that's how we can learn to walk in the Spirit, is that we say no to those fleshly desires and, and say, yes, God, you know, this is what, this is what I, I know you want me to do. One more point under that one. In verses 15 and 16, he's comparing the fulfilling of our own desires with the desires of the Spirit. And so they're contrary to each other. So I rewrote those a little bit just to help clarify it. So those verses are up on the screen again. It says, but I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your own flesh. For the desires of your flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against your flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And the things that we all, if I were to ask you, the things that you want to do, I'm sure, is to honor the Lord with your life. If I were to go around this room, I, I, I'm sure that almost every single person would say, yes, that is my desire. I do want to please the Lord with my life. But that fight that we have between our flesh and the spirit is raging daily in our lives. So point number two, so what does that look like to walk in the spirit? Uh, back to Jim and Rachel. One day Rachel packs up all her belongings and moves to another state to move in with her parents. It's like a four-hour trip. Does not give Jim the address where she's going. And it's been over two years since she's left. Zero communication. She has not sought counsel or even communicated with Jim. And Jim, on the other hand, has tried, he's bent over backwards. He's taken days off of work to go down there. And at least she would meet him at a hotel away from the house so that they could at least talk for a little bit. But it was nothing. It was just, hi, how you doing? There's nothing going on. And then she goes home. She wouldn't even spend the night with her own husband. She goes home and changed her email address, changed her password on Facebook. He's been defriended from her. What is going on with this? So I, would, I was talking to Jim, and I asked him, I said, is she really a believer? And he's, oh, yes. She is so spiritual. She reads to me the Bible all the time, and, and she's a brother that brought me to church, and, and she was instrumental in me coming to know the Lord. That's all good stuff. But is she truly born again? Does she walk in the Spirit? And as it says, the, the fruit of the Spirit, is it evident in her life that the fruit of the Spirit, this love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, is that evident in her life? Or are the works of the flesh 
uh, more visible. We look in verse 19 on. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, revelries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and such things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, to Rachel's credit, not all of these things were evident in her life. Uh, you know, just, just, but there were things like strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissension, and divisions. Those are the things that were evident in her life. We are not to be the judge whether she's saved or not. But we are to be fruit inspectors. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And I told Jim, I said, Jim, if she were truly a believer walking with God, she would not allow this separation to be permanent. She would be the Spirit of God would be bringing conviction on her and she would reach out to somebody for help and say, my marriage is struggling, can you help us? Can you help me? She would be asking the question, what role did I play in this, in this marriage that has fallen apart? What did I do? What was my responsibility? There was none of that. There was no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control in her life. So based on that, I would assume that she was not a true believer. I, again, I'm not the judge, but simply based on the lack of evidence that would speak to the contrary. Does that make sense? That is the important thing that we need to see in each other's life. The fruit of the Spirit instead of the works of the flesh, the fruits of the flesh. And so as I'm talking with, with Jim about that, he just had a hard time grasping that, that she wasn't a believer because she was quoting all these scriptures. And she would give me, when we were counseling with them, uh, she gave me three by five cards with all these verses that she had looked up about how to fix Jim. But never ab anything about her, never anything about how I can respect and love my husband and stay with him through thick and thin. None of those types of verses. And like I said earlier, we are not to judge. Only God can know for sure. But there are signs and evidences that people can see around us to say, this is truly a child of God. You could see a changed life. So the, the, um, the question, you know, if this resonates with you today, the power of the gospel can change. That's what the gospel is so good at doing is changing our hearts, changing our mindset, changing the way we look at other people. So instead of looking at someone to see how I can be better than them, we look at how can I help you be the best person you can be 
how can I help you succeed in your job? That is, if you did that in business, uh, people would look at you. Why do you want him to succeed? You're the one who needs this better job. But the Spirit of God, we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. So if you're here today and this resonates with you, this, this lack of evidence of the Spirit of God in your life, you know, I pray that you'll settle that before you leave today. If there's no, no evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and others could see it, you're not the only one. If others can't see that, then I begin to question, God, transform me. Make me into a person that, that can do that. And it's his power, it's the power of the gospel that changes us as we accept his forgiveness of our sins. As we look to the cross and are changed, it's his power and it's not our own effort. So, I read a book a number of years ago, it's called In His Steps by uh, Charles Sheldon. Some of you may have read this. That's where we got the phrase WWJD, what would Jesus do? There was a, a church that for one year would not make a decision or do anything before they asked that question, what would Jesus do? So for that whole year, people were asking that. So any business decision, anything at the church, any marriage, anything that was going on, they asked that question. So one editor of the daily paper, Edward Norman, who thought he was already following Jesus wholeheartedly, begins to think about some of his practices, and he wonders if Jesus would allow liquor and tobacco advertising if he were the editor. Some people would argue that someone else would, would do it if, if he did not, but Norman turned him down. Then he finds that he must take a stand in the election where the liquor interests are involved. Many of his subscriptions were canceled, and he lost money in advertising. He is criticized even by his own employees. But was he right? How far should we go in following that principle? I think you know the answer, but are you willing to do it? Are you willing to say, God, you know what? I am going to do whatever it takes to honor and please you. So you might be saying to yourself, if I lived like that, I, I would ruin my career or my chances for a promotion. You know what I say? Great. Because what is better, pleasing the Lord and living a spirit-filled life or furthering your career? Do you don't think that God can honor you if you honor him? So if it means uh, in my business I have to compromise my moral standards in order to uh, satisfy a client, that's crossing the line. Or if I have to go out and drink with these people and, and get drunk in order to win them over to our side, you've got to ask yourself, have I crossed the line? Or if I have to lie about this product that I know has problems in order to sell it for my boss's sake, for to keep my job, you're lying. You have to ask yourself, is this what Jesus would do? Would he lie in order to make a sale? 
So he's saying as we walk in the Spirit, we are going to have that battle on a daily basis <coughs> of whether we are, are obeying his word or we're listening to our flesh. The third thing is what's, what's the importance of walking in the Spirit today? Why is it so important? Well, let's look at verses 24 and 25. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So my question that leads from here is, are you following hard after God? Is the passion of your life to do and obey what God asks you to do? So in this, in this passage that we looked at today, there are three different times and in different ways this idea of being in the Spirit was communicated. So this is where you need to underline and put a line to each of these. In, in verse 16, it says that we are to walk in the Spirit. Then in verse 18, it says that we are to be led by the Spirit. And then here in verse 25, it says to live by the Spirit. So in my remaining few minutes that I have, I want to I look at those, those three things and just compare them. Because when Paul says something over and over and over, it's pretty important. And you need to pay attention to what he's saying. So walking... The first one, walking by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, it says, that this is demands active determination to get up off of our lounge chair of life, and it requires endurance to keep going at a steady pace. Now, for those of you who are older than maybe 40, you might know what a car drives like that does not have power steering. When you're sitting in, at a standstill with a car that does not have power steering and you try to turn the wheel, it's almost impossible. Somebody with a bad shoulder, no way would they be able to do it. But once that car begins to move, once you begin rolling, it's easier to turn the wheel. That's the way it's designed. You have to be moving in order for it to steer. So this is what he's saying is if you want to walk in the spirit, you can't just sit back and say, God, you know, I'm here, do what you want. No, it's, it, it involves moving. It involves keeping in, um, keeping in step with the spirit. And so as we're moving, what does that look like in moving in our lives? Well, first of all, you're spending time in the word. You're going, attending church. You're involved in a life group. You have accountability around you. You have people who are looking and caring for you. You're, you're going in the direction. You're refusing to follow the flesh and saying, God, I'm going to make the right decision today. Based on the word of God, not based on what I think is right, but based on what God says here. You walk in the light. And lastly, we keep short accounts with God and with each other. What I mean by that is that if you've offended someone or if you've sinned, You've done something you would know is against what God would have you do. You confess it right away. Or you go to that person that you've offended and say, listen, I'm sorry. That was wrong for me to say that. Because as, as husbands and wives, we know 
what are some trigger points for our spouse. Don't tell me you don't know what they are, because we do. And so we could say something and, and totally offend them. I can make my wife cry if I were to say something that I know hurts her feelings. And sometimes I've used that weapon to get mad at, to get back at her for something that, that she's done that offended me. And so I say something and it, and it, and it really just causes major division in us. I have to be, have be a man enough to go back and say, you know what, that was uncalled for what I said. Can you forgive me? I'm sorry I said that. I didn't, I didn't walk in the spirit at a time. Don't make excuses for, for, for you, well, you shouldn't have done this, or you shouldn't have said that. No, it, it was my bad. Even no matter what she did to me, I reacted wrongly. And so I had to confess my end of the bargain. So he says, let's keep those short accounts with God and with each other. Then we can be walking in fellowship with God, walking in the spirit. So the second thing he says is to be led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit means it has the meaning of, of pressure and control. And in Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 2, it says that a donkey and her colt were led by the disciples. Soldiers arrested Jesus and led him away in Luke twenty-two fifty-four, The soldiers arrested Paul and led him away. In Acts 21, 34, and 23, 10. Now, in youth group, we used to play a game that was supposed to be an object lesson where one person would have a blindfold on and the other person was supposed to take them by the arm and lead them along and give them instructions step by step. Step over this hill. Here comes steps to the church. But some people were idiots and they would lead them into the pool and let them fall in or they would, uh, would not tell them that there's a curb right here just to see what they would do. But if they played the game properly, the person that is blindfolded would learn to trust the person who was leading them. And, and that's what the connotation here is that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what our next step should be at times. <coughs> but he's saying, trust me. Let me lead you. I am around you. We are to walk, uh, walk in the Spirit, and now we are to be led by the Spirit. It's encompassing all around us. And it's important to walk that way. Paul mentions this, in, in, uh, that's how sin controls us and leads us. And he also, how the law can lead us and hold us prisoners in legalism. And, and thinking that we have to do this and this and this and this in order to please God. And, and so now he's depicting a different kind of control, the control of the Spirit. And so when we are born again by the Spirit, here the Spirit produces a transformation of our character and helps us to be able to walk and submit to the Spirit's control instead of the control of the law. So if you are being led by the Spirit, this is evidence. This is the evidence I'm talking about. If you're being led by the Spirit, you're going to want to go back and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or go back to your kids that, that you spanked 
you didn't really get the whole story and you spanked them out of anger instead of, instead of really knowing what happened or you spanked the wrong one, the other one got him in trouble, you have to go back and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I was wrong when I did that. Or you have to be able to say, you know what, I am not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie in this situation just to make my path easier. Tell the truth. And that will, that's evidence of the Spirit leading in your life. The third thing, number C, is that we are to live by the Spirit. And I love this part here because this is, this is uh, an indicative and imperative combination that Paul uses in a number of his writings. So we have the indicative, okay? We live. We have. You are, you are a, a child of God. These are who you are. That's, an in, that's the indicative. And then the imperative, he says, okay, now that you know who you are, let's do this. Let's keep in step. And, and we see that the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are who you are in Christ. And then that's the, that's the indicative. And then the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are the imperative. Okay, now you know who you are in Christ. Let's start walking in that way. Here's, the, here's that in this verse. So the indicative describes God's gift to us, the freedom in Christ and the life in the spirit. And the imperative expresses our responsibilities to protect our freedom from slavery under the law, to use our freedom to serve others, and, and to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? I was in the marching band from 7th grade through 12th grade. We had 150 members in our band. I played the trumpet, and, and when we were walking down um, one of the parade routes, with 150 band members, our instructor told us over and over, you look down this way and you look this way to make sure you're staying in line. And we had to march. We had to keep our, our knees going high when we were marching, looking down there to make sure that that line stayed straight. Now, I don't know if any band members from Peaberg are here, but I watched their marching band one time years ago they're much better now, I will admit. Much better now. But watching them march down the field, it was like watching a snake crawling. Um, the discipline wasn't there. But when you have 150 members, it has to be, otherwise it's all confusion. But just to, just, you know, Heberg Band is much better than it used to be, I will admit that. I enjoyed watching their shows this year. But we get into this, to live by the Spirit is, is, is to live in such a way and that we're keeping in step, we're keeping our eye on where, where we're heading, both ways. Now the thing that, that, that happens is that we often will, will see alternative routes. Now I don't know about you, but if you've ever done the Tough Mudder, I don't want to do the Tough Mudder, it scares me. Going through a puddle of water with electrodes hanging down and you're getting shocked as you're running through that, that puddle, I don't want to experience that. I've grabbed an electric fence when I've had wet feet before. It's not fun. And, and so I wanted to find some alternate route around that 
and not actually go through that. Well, there's times in our life that God is taking us, is going to take us through that puddle that is going to have electrodes shooting us, shooting at us and stuff. And it's going to be tough. And we're going to want to find an alternative route around that to make it easier on ourselves. But God is saying, you know what? I am leading you through this difficulty for a reason. It strengthens you. I can uphold you. And you will find that on the other side a joy that can only come after a difficulty. And that's what he's saying here is that we want to we, we find those easier paths of life. But he's taking us through this difficulty right now. Whatever your season of life you're in. I look out among here, I see some who are caring for aging parents. Some who have children who have walked away from the Lord. Some who are uh, wanting to have children but can't. Some, you know, all these different scenarios that we have to walk through in our lives. But God is saying, you know what, let me lead you. Let live in my spirit. And allow me to, to lead you through that. We either want to get ahead, so we're listening to a different drummer at times. As we're listening to the Spirit of God leading us, as we're following Him, sometimes we'll, we'll hear a different beat that's maybe going faster. We're saying, okay, God, you know, this is taking too long. I've got to do something on my own. We know what happened with that, with Abraham. When he, God was told him he was going to have a child, and he, and he said, this is taking too long. So he had a child with somebody else, and that caused all kinds of problems to today. Or we're afraid, and we begin to question, God, I don't think I can handle this. And so we begin to listen to that other drummer that's slowing us down and backing away. From, from where the Spirit is leading us, shying away from that instead of delving into what God is on our plate for this time. And we begin to get scared. He's saying, you know, tune those other drummers out. Listen to what I'm saying. Follow me, and you will have a joy that can only come as you submit to me, as you follow in my footsteps. Well, what's going on with... Uh, What's going to happen to Jim and Rachel? The, uh, the story's not over yet. Jim is praying that, that she will come to know the Lord in a true sense. If she's not saved, that she'll get saved and, and start growing. Or if she is saved but just have w turned her back on the Lord, that she will get, get the help she needs and restore their relationship. He has not given up yet. Jim continues to seek God's will for his life and how to proceed going forward. We all have to face those things. What about you? Are you evidencing the spirit moving and leading and guiding in your life? Do you sense the spirit's power and, and, and will, your willingness to say, God, whatever you have for me, that's what I want to do. When we do that, are you willing to do whatever it takes to come to that point where you are keeping in continual pace with the Lord? Those are good questions we need to ask ourselves. And ask others around you, somebody that you trust. Say, do I evidence the Spirit in my life? What are some areas in my life that, that you see that I need to work on? That I'm 
I'm falling short. Trust them. People see it, even if you don't. We will be able to see the Spirit in action, and we will be growing every day into what He wants us to be.